This podcast is brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. BankInfoSecurity.com is your source for the news and views shaping security and risk management within the finance space. What trends and investments are expected to have the greatest impact on ACH payments and online security in 2011? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today with Jan Estep, President and CEO of NACHA, the Electronic Payments Association. I'll just give you a little introduction to NACHA for those who might be listening today. NACHA is the rulemaking body that is responsible for the ACH network, managing its development, administration, and governance, and therefore our focus really is creating rules for the network that will appropriately balance both innovation and risk management. And we've really been doing this successfully for about 40 years since the beginning of the network. Let me just give you a couple examples. The um, web transaction, for instance, for the Internet was introduced now a bit over 10 years ago, and it's unauthorized debit rates of only 0.03% are very consistent with the rest of the network. And check conversion transactions, uh, other transactions that were introduced within the last 10 years have virtually no unauthorized transactions, really a huge improvement over paper checks. When you ask about uh, security of the payments as it relates to ACH and online, certainly the web transaction is part of that. But I think it's also important to define up front that securing the online computing environment is really key to securing all types of information as well as all types of payments. Because securing the online environment is key to preventing and mitigating risk associated with, for example, corporate account takeover where money might be moved with either wire or ACH or where fraudsters use wire transfer to move significant dollars out of the country. So certainly there are interdependencies amongst computing environment and all types of payments. With that said, though, I think the ACH network does introduce a lot of innovations, uh, opportunities for participants to really take advantage of the ACH network and kind of its unique attributes. Um, that of efficiency, ubiquity, getting to all financial institutions across the country, and certainly the ability to pass payments plus information, all making it uh, prime for really adding value to participants in the network of all types. Now, NACHA is currently working with financial institutions to secure security and payments, but what are they doing there to help educate financial institutions about security and payments as well as helping to enhance innovation? Well, well, let me start again with the rules, just as background, because the operating rules themselves for the ACH network reflect this balance of risk and innovation uh, that I mentioned earlier. And it's through the NACHA operating rules that is really a private sector rulemaking process and collaboration amongst a lot of entities uh, that we engage not only financial institutions but the industry in creating a framework that defines roles and responsibilities for those participants. So one way that we engage the industry in collaboration is a group that we call the Risk Management Advisory Group, or RMAG, and they have diligently been working to ensure that financial institutions as well as their business clients have an awareness of both tools as well as sound business practices for preventing fraudulent activity. So a group like this is working right now to develop additional resources to help businesses and financial institutions evaluate those business practices 
um, in concert with knowing what they're doing each day. They also have the intent to continue to update those resources as both technology and as techniques used by cyber thieves, for example, uh, continue to change. Because we understand it's very important to keep up with changing technology. And a group such as RMAG that is not only involved with NACHA, but involved in supporting their own business and their own clients on a daily basis, uh, really can help do that very effectively. Now, 17 regional payments associations, Jan, such as the Payments Authority, work with NACHA on a national scale. How does NACHA work with these associations to improve communications with and innovations for financial institutions, as well as other entities touching the payment space? Uh, good question, Tracy. The regional payment associations, or RPAs as we call them, are a piece of the equation in both communicating to as well as providing education for the industry. Um, you mentioned there were 17 RPAs, and they provide ACH education as well as other payment education and services to those in their specific geographic area so that financial institutions, corporations, e-commerce companies, uh, payment technology providers all across the country can take advantage of education and services on kind of a local basis. Um, so entities do have the opportunity uh, to become a member of regional payment associations and via that process, you know, small or large banks or credit unions can contribute to both the development as well as the future path of the ACH network and again, be engaged at a very one-on-one -on -one basis in education that will help them successfully utilize the ACH network. And then talking about that utilization of the ACH network, what role, if any, Jan, do you see ACH payments, as far as innovations are concerned, playing within financial institutions in 2011? Yeah, I think in 2011, as well as how we have operated in the past, the payments marketplace will continue to evolve, and the ACH network will continue to be involved in various aspects of innovation while we continue to work with the industry to strengthen payment solutions. So let me just give you a couple examples. Um, in 2010, um, Secure Vault Payments uh, was an initiative uh, that NACHA had been involved with for many years. Uh, that was moved into what we call commercialization. So it's available to anybody in the industry. But it really provides an alternative payment solution and a very cost-effective payment option for consumers that wish to purchase online but do not wish to share financial information or the merchants that they're buying from, if they don't want to store account information, Secure Vault payment is a great option for them. So it's really a good example of innovation, of working with participants, and being very creative relative to risk mitigation by not sharing bank accounts when you go through a payment process. So again, I think a very good combination of using technology, not only for innovation and cost effectiveness, but also great risk management. Um, to give you one other example, I mentioned earlier that the ACH network does a great job of not only supporting payments, but information that flows with the payments. This will help in the future with things like healthcare administrative simplification, uh, but also innovative solutions such as EBIT, or Electronic Billing and Information Delivery Service. It's a great opportunity for businesses 
to pass invoice and billing information over the ACH network uh, to then request the payment and really mitigate and or reduce any concerns with the invoice and what they're paying for because it's all done electronically. So I think we will continue to see areas of innovation. Our rules will continue to change, I think, in small as well as large ways. Uh, for example, we've had uh, telephone payment over the network for many years. And a rule was passed last year that allows for recurring telephone payments. Uh, so that will be implemented in the future. Again, just another example of increased opportunity uh, for network participants of all sizes and types. And, Jane, I'd like to just step back for a moment and go back to the discussion about corporate account takeover. Of course, this is a hot topic that we've written about quite a bit as well as, as other media in the industry. And I'd like to know what you think institutions could do better. How could they better secure ACH transactions? And I want to be careful here because I think we oftentimes want to refer to it as ACH fraud when we should be referring to it as corporate account takeover fraud because it brings in more than just ACH. But how can they help to secure these transactions while also reaping the benefits and innovations of ACH rails? And does it all really go back to online security? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question, Tracy, as well as a, a good definition, because I think it goes back to the comment I made earlier. Um, you know, and it's probably easiest for folks to think about it in an analogous way. Having an unsecure computer is the same as not locking your house. If your house is unlocked, thieves can come in and they can steal anything, be that valuables, information, money, checks all could be used for future fraudulent activities. And I think the same thing can really be said of cyber fraud or those activities involving corporate account takeover. The ACH rails themselves are secure, as you call out, but corporate account takeover occurs when online computer environment is breached. It's a type of really identity theft when the cyber thieves gain control of the bank account information by stealing online banking credentials and once that happens, they can clearly then move money out of the country by wire transfer or move money within the U.S. via wire or ACH to a different bank account. So nearly all of this activity, as you, as you mentioned up front, can be avoided by both the financial institution and the business implementing some business practices or tools that either help to flag abnormal activity or stop the activity uh, before it can be again. You know, locking your house, keeping the computer secure is really key. And I think it's something, you know, that is awfully important uh, to continue to emphasize and to make sure um, that uh, businesses as well as financial institutions don't see that securing the computing environment uh, is a hassle, but rather that it's mandatory um, to keep these out. I'll talk about one other thing, Tracy, that I think is important relative to the ACH network specifically, and that is that, you know, you mentioned um, that certainly your organization has spoken to corporate account takeover quite a bit, and even though it's discussed in, in many venues, um, it really is relatively rare on a percentage of transactions. Over $30 trillion is passed through the ACH network each year. And we know that many financial institutions and businesses are using very sound business practices, or there would be rampant fraud versus kind of one-off situations that we're seeing today. And certainly many have for many years 
deploys multi-factor authentication. They're using multi-channel techniques, out-of-band authentication, really creating strong barriers and, and, again, protecting that access to the computing environment itself. So there are a lot of things that have been done. There are a lot of things that can be done. And I think it's important as an industry to continue to evolve what we do and continue to educate everyone uh, so that they are both aware and then taking steps to make sure that they're protecting their environment before something happens. They're both, um, I, I think, uh, complex and sophisticated uh, tools that can be used. And then there really are some things that are pretty basic. You know, ensuring that businesses know they can't use an unsecured wireless public spot for doing financial transactions. Um, again, that they're using things that help, such as dual control or out-of-band authentication. These are very basic things that we have been talking about uh, for, for almost 10 years, um, certainly since uh, the first FFIC guidance came out in 2005 and, and uh, with communications. So it is important to continue those communications, the education, to work in concert with each other, and then really making sure that the potential for contracting a virus or downloading spyware is something that everyone knows they need to be cognizant of and trying to prevent. And if we can do that collectively, certainly that is uh, uh, key to the first step in terms of stopping um, the initial spyware from being loaded onto a computer. And you raise a good point, Jan. Education, of course, is such an important component of any layered security approach that an institution would implement. And I wanted to go to a survey that we recently released, the Faces of Fraud survey. And in that survey, 37% of our respondents um, say that they were impacted by ACH or wire fraud in 2010. That number seemed a little bit low, but based on what you've shared, perhaps it isn't. How prevalent is fraud on the ACH network, would you say, from that perspective? Do you think that that 37% seems low? Do you think more financial institutions are affected and just don't know it? You know, I, I actually think the number itself um, might be relatively high because of the other facts that I've shared already, Tracy. Right. We do know that with $30 trillion moving over the ACH network, um, that the number of compromises and or the number of actual losses, you know, is, is a, a very small fraction of that. Uh, but unfortunately, the study that you refer to does categorize both wire and ACH fraud together as corporate account takeover. And so the number you're referring to actually incorporates more than ACH activity. Um, corporate account activity using money mules after a computer is infected um, many times is enabled by overseas fraudsters. And we do know that wire transfer is the only mechanism that can be used to move that money then quickly overseas. Um, so unfortunately, I think, you know, the fine-tuning the answer relative to ACH um, is, is not possible based on that survey. But, but I will reference one other that was completed in 2010, and that was um, by AFP, the Association of Financial Professionals. Uh, they do a yearly study um, around risk and fraud mitigation, and they did conclude that a small fraction of fraud and fraud losses occur on the ACH network. In fact, they did show that only 7% of all organizations experienced either 
attempted or actual fraud due to ACH credit transactions. And those are the type of ACH that might be involved in corporate account takeover. And amongst the surveys, the respondents um, declared that only 3% of them had seen an increase in the last year. So again, I, I think that the education and the communication is helping. Uh, it means that there might be a slight increase um, and certainly something that we need to be diligent about. But the AFP fraud also showed that ACH credit um, fraud or attempts of such were much lower than checks and payment cards. So again, I think keeping everything in context is important and acknowledging that this risk exposure does exist is important too because we need to continue to make sure uh, that those entities that may not have been hit with either an attempt or a fraud are not the ones that are therefore um, not taking the proper online banking authentication and or business practices that will prevent it in the future. I mentioned um, uh, just a minute ago that corporate account takeover is due to and or involves ACH credit transactions, um, but I also might mention the ACH debit transactions because, again, that is where we have seen actually a great decrease in what we call unauthorized debit transactions over the last few years, and in fact, a very significant drop over the last two years. But unauthorized debit returns is really our best indicator of fraudulent activity on the network where someone takes an account number uh, and then um, has uh, unauthorized money taken from their account. And that is, as I mentioned earlier, at 0.03% or less than three hundredths of a percent of all network transactions. So again, um, it is a known risk but one that I think we have a lot of tools and practices that we just have to make sure everyone, every organization along the way continues to use. And I was going to ask you about security being key and an emphasis in 2011, and I'm not going to pose that question because it definitely is going to be based on what you shared. But I wanted to ask you if you expect investments in ACH fraud detection specifically to be a focus for banks as well as credit unions in the coming year. And if so, will those investments lead to greater channel integration? Uh, you know, I think that risk mitigation and attention to such will continue um, to be a focus area into the future. And certainly, channel integration to a degree is very important. I think it's a key point. Again, going back to the definitions that we talked about earlier, any type of identity theft, password compromise, money movement, could occur if credentials are stolen. You know, so so the idea of, you know, really being able to say, what is our environment? How are we performing transactions, be those payment transactions or other types of information that you want to keep secure, uh, is very important. And I think financial institutions, as well as their customers, can continue to evaluate how to incorporate fraud detection as well as risk management services um, that they have within their own organization that might be offered by online bank service providers, uh, ACIH operators in particular, um, because even when we think about this layered approach, it's important. There's transaction monitoring. There's certainly anti-malware software that can be installed. 
uh, payment files under dual control, exposure limits, pre-notification, IP address authentication, behavioral analytics, payment patterning, uh, tools to secure sessions, implementation of layered controls is really important for everybody. And I think as I kind of think through all these possible tools, it is really up to each organization to implement sound business practices that fit their environment, and that can open the door to really broad mitigation across the industry between financial institutions, their customers, uh, that really are robust and can help us continue to drive those numbers down. And could you tell us, Jan, what you see as being the top three to five ACH payments and security investments banks and credit unions should make in 2011? And I'm assuming that some of these security investments that you suggest will have an impact on the types of payments or the way payments are conducted on the ACH network. Yeah, it, it's right. And it's hard to highlight for the industry as a whole, Tracy, what the top three to five might be again, because I think what you implement is clearly dependent on your environment, your customer, the type of uh, activity that you perform on a computer. Um, so I'll, I'll raise up some general things that I do think are important and maybe we can prioritize. And the first is really to say that financial institutions should look at what I would call appropriate multi-layered security. And, and that's a general term, but it's one that says, that one answer, one tool, or one business practice in and of itself is not sufficient. Really having a critical defense for online platforms, which is customized to fit the requirements of each organization and multi-layered security, extending beyond just the hardware and software, but to what you do on a daily basis, and then the customer and or organizational education is really key to that. Secondly, if you think again about high-level things, I think that financial institutions should consider deploying enterprise-wide fraud management. And then that goes back to the multi-channel integration question you asked me earlier. But looking holistically across channels, across silos, is important not only for financial institutions, for businesses themselves. And Lastly, maybe focusing on the people part of this. Um, again, I said it earlier and don't mean to be very redundant, but hardware and software by itself is only a piece of the transaction. Uh, humans have the ability to understand when things don't seem right. Um, so doing things as a business, for example, um, checking your accounts on a daily basis is something that should be standard practice. Educating your employees investing in your employees, telling them what to look for, what to see, looking for things that might be abnormal. It can be done through human eyes as well as through very sophisticated heuristic hardware and software routines. So again, investing in employees, having them understand what's normal, what the rules are, what's expected, I think is vital regardless of who you are or where you sit in terms of a computing environment or a payments transaction. 
And in closing, Jan, I was going to ask you to provide some advice that we could give to financial institutions as well as businesses that would help them protect themselves against fraudulent activity. And you've named a number of those. And so I'd like to ask you instead, do you see 2011 being a year of greater and stronger collaboration between financial institutions and their commercial customers when it comes to fraud prevention? Yeah, I certainly hope so, Tracy. I do think that businesses and financial institutions need to keep working together in partnership to ensure that sound business practices are employed um, on all ends of any computing environment and or, as I said before, on all ends of a transaction. Really, all entities need to be vigilant in protecting against all types of identity theft and all types of payment fraud. And again, to go back to, you know, maybe the, the first thing I said in this interview, the number one thing that we're all told about ensuring personal safety is that you have to be aware of your surroundings. Again, an unsecure computer is really the same as not locking your house. You know, so it does come down to basics. If something is open and unsecure, thieves can come in and steal anything. And it takes awareness. I think it takes education. And as you call out in this last question, it does take really working together in a cooperative manner, in collaboration, to make sure that we can either stop or flag anything that looks like abnormal activity. Jane, I'd like to thank you again for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate the dialogue, Tracy. Again, we've just heard from Jan Estep, President and CEO of NACHA, the Electronic Payments Association. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitt. This podcast has been brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.BankInfoSecurity.com.